In just a few moments, we're going to ask a question via song of exhortation, song of invitation, and that song is, Do You Know My Jesus? We ask that question at a time such as this to extend what we call our Lord's invitation that's always extended 24-7. Tonight in our assembly, there is that young man, young lady, maybe an aged man or aged woman, and I say that with respect to Titus 2 who is yet to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. At a moment such as this, seed has been sown, thoughts throughout your mind and heart, and you're thinking about obeying the gospel of Christ. You've heard the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to all that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, Romans 1.16. It's a gospel that was proclaimed that we are to obey. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. When we hear that gospel message and believe it is commanded in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, and to embrace the faith and to believe it, then we see a change in our lives as we repent or we change our decision, which changes our direction. And we turn unto the Lord as He commanded in Luke 13, 3, and as Peter preached in Acts 2, 38. That sweet soul will confess Jesus as the Son of God, saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the same statement of the eunuch in Acts 8 and verse 37. A confession that we note from Philippians 2.11, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Tonight we've been singing about Christ as our Lord. And then that person is baptized into Christ. Acts 2.38 says that will remit a person's sins. In Acts 22.16, Paul said it washed away his sins. The Apostle Paul in Romans 6, 4 through 6 said that we are raised to walk in a newness of life and we will be new in Christ. The old man of sin will be washed away. And you see, that's not the end of life. That's the end of a sinful life, but it's the beginning of a Christian life as we will walk faithful to our Father prayerfully and diligently unto death, the Revelation 2 and verse 10. And we will remain faithful to Him as we walk on this earth. That's what one does to become a Christian. And in the next few moments when we stand to sing, Do you know my Jesus? If you have yet to know Him in obedience to His will, then we pray that you'll do that this very evening. Dear brother or dear sister, we're looking at a revival to faithfulness. We did a spiritual self-examination this morning. Maybe you've thought about things through the afternoon and prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ is what you will desire. You know, Simon in Acts the 8th chapter beginning with verse 22 desired to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Apostle Peter rebuked him and told him he had no part nor lot in that matter and told him his heart was not right in the sight of God, he asked to be prayed for that none of those things would be laid to him. You see, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, James five sixteen, And we are taught as Christians, if we confess our faults one to another and pray one for another, we will be healed. And so if we confess our sins... And knowing He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, 1 John 1 and verse 9. Dear brother, dear sister, maybe tonight your path back to a revival to faithfulness is doing that very thing. Tonight, if you will, please reach for your Bibles.
turn to the Romans, the third chapter. Go down to about verse 19, and we'll be there in just a little bit. As tonight we consider a statement or a response tonight in this lesson, and grateful to your elders who see the need for this study. A revival to faithfulness began as a challenge to us to be faithful to our Lord. It's very easy for the world to guide us in different places. But several months ago, in the edition of Think Magazine, December of 2013 to be exact, there were results given of a survey taken among individuals who were once members of the Church of Christ. And they gave a variety of reasons of their departure. Looking at that material, based upon the request of your elders, we wanted to look at some matters that would cause people to leave the Church of Christ, to walk away from something that they'd known for some time. One of the things that you and I have found in that is it's always easy to respond to say, well, I left because the Church of Christ is a legalistic group of people. If you've been a member of the Lord's Church for any period of time, chances are an individual has looked at you and have made a similar comment. You are a legalistic group of people. Or maybe you've just been asked point blank, are you a legalist when you have stated something of your faith? Tonight I'd like for you and I to look at a response to legalism. Going to look at two points in this lesson. I realize it says that preachers ought to have three points, but then again, I think I can suffice with two. But I do have a little bit of a lengthy introduction from the standpoint of, let's simply define it. When you and I consider the word legalism, when you look at the Random House Dictionary of 2014, Legalism is defined as a strict adherence or the principle of strict adherence to law or prescription, especially to the letter rather than the spirit. Keep that in mind. In the realm of theology, Random House defined it as the doctrine that salvation is gained by good works or through good works or the judging of conduct in terms of adherence to precise laws. WordNet defined it as a strict conformity to the letter of the law rather than its spirit, similar to what we read from Random House. As I was reading through this, thinking about it, I thought Wikipedia had something interesting in their write-up about legalism. As they said, in Christian theology is a term referring to an improper fixation on law or codes of conduct or legal ideas, usually implying an allegation of pride and the neglect of mercy and ignorance of the grace of God. Simply put, legalism is believed, stated, or supposedly implied that law, not faith, is the preeminent principle of redemption. As I looked at these definitions and I thought about the statement of are you a legalist or the question or the accusation, ladies and gentlemen, I don't claim to be an expert on matters. 
Definition of expert. X is has been and pert means little thing. Don't claim to be an expert. I will say this. At age 51, I grew up in the church of Christ. It's all I've ever known. I've attended three schools of preaching or related to schools of preaching and two of our quote-unquote colleges. They're now called universities. I've spent a lot of time with brothers and sisters in the Lord. I have been accused of probably a lot of different things, as most of you. Ladies and gentlemen, may I say something with all grace and all kindness And I think I know what I'm talking about. People that want to use the term legalism do not have the first idea what a legalist is. They're just parroting what they've had other people say. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. It is amazing when there are those that want to say, well, you're a legalist. But if you ask them to define what a legalist is, it's rather interesting to see the reply. Tonight, I want to take the definitions of legalism. Now, you notice that I used dictionaries because legalism is not a biblical word. But I'd like for you and I to know this tonight. If there are those that are abandoning abandoning their faith because of legalism, ladies and gentlemen, they are actually abandoning the faith that speaks against legalism. Tonight, I want to take these definitions. I want to just break them down into two overall views and simply answer them through the Word of God. First of all, notice the first definition with me, if you will. Strict conformity to the letter of the law rather than its spirit. Now, let's take a look at that word conformity or the word conformed. It is a biblical word. Vine defines conformed as to make of like form with another person or thing to render like To fashion or shape one thing like another. Now, folks, let me pause here. I realize a lot of you are reading what I'm saying, and that's kind of like, Jeff, you're reading to us. But please keep in mind, this will be on the Internet. As Chad told me, it can go to Japan or Pakistan or other places like they're going to be able to understand this southern drawl. Folks, this voice sounds rough on a tape. I mean, I sound so country, it'd make Loretta Lynn a city slicker. And I hope they'll be able to grasp it. So if I slow the pace or if I'm reading, remember, some folks are not seeing the PowerPoints as you are. But, you know, to be conformed means to be made like another or shapen. Would you consider the following text with me, especially Romans eight twenty nine? Speaking of God, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Notice, God wants us, it is his will, that we are conformed to the image of Christ. In Romans 12 and verse 2, 
Look at the opposite end. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Watch now. Don't be conformed or be in an image or don't be formed or likened to the world. Then Paul in Philippians 3, 10 and 11 desired to know more about his Lord and Savior and simply said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. If you're talking about conformity to be like Christ, conformed unto His death and to attain a resurrection of the dead in Christ. And if you're talking about not being conformed to the world, but being conformed to Christ, then ladies and gentlemen, the Bible tells us we are to conform to Christ and all about Him. When we look at this a little closer, folks, and this is why I want you to be at Romans 3, 19 through 28, I want to spend a few moments here, if you will. I want to find the person that created tri-bifocals or whatever, because y'all got this screen. Wait a minute. Okay, I'm with it now. Whenever you do PowerPoint in a strange place, and I mean that kindly, you got to get used to how this works. And I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Bear with me. I really appreciate Chad putting these on ahead of time and testing them to make sure that they worked fine. I did not intend for him to read the whole thing. If he lays out one night, we're going to have prayer. <laughs> Romans three nineteen through 21 or through 28. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to read four sections of this text. I'm going to read a section. I'm going to comment on it. Read another section. So you all stay with me. Romans three nineteen through 21. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now... The righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Letter of the law. Ladies and gentlemen, the law of Moses will not save you and will not save me because we don't live under the law of Moses. And we could keep it right down to the point and it still would not save us. It's the law of Moses he's referring to. It's not going to save you and I. Under those that lived under the Mosaic law, yes, that's what they're going to be judged by. It's rather interesting. Someone will say, well, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. Let me ask you a question. When I was baptized, when you were baptized... To what were we baptized? We were baptized into the death of Christ and resurrected in newness of life in the resurrection of Christ, correct? Yes. Christ was still alive then, folks. 
Christ had the power on earth to forgive sin. And what law did the thief live under? The law of Moses. It's not the law of Moses. Watch now. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. That's a cool word right there. A lot of you know me better from my days with Nabisco. You know, I had one brother say that he was sad when I went into full-time preaching because that means he'd get no more samples of candy. And I know there's a lot of VBSs that do without cookies on my benefit now. When I worked for Nabisco, we had all of our stuff delivered to stores. Our driver had one sheet of paper that was called his manifest. And every time that he would deliver an order, the store would sign the invoice and then sign his manifest. When he got back to the plant, what he was to have was a manifest that was full of names and a truck that was empty except for some pickups. That manifest was like gold. As a matter of fact, we made it clear if we carried and delivered something special, as soon as they signed that manifest, might be for the one order, we were told to immediately go to the post office and mail it. Don't hold on to it. It was that important. This word manifest means that which is assured and proven. The righteousness of God is assured and it's proven being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets brought us to Christ. That's Galatians 3, 22 and following. The law and the prophets, Jesus said He came not to destroy, but to fulfill it, Matthew five seventeen. And in fulfilling the law and the prophets, He took it out of the way, nailed it to His cross, Colossians two fourteen. and herein is the righteousness of God. Number 2, verses 22 and 23. Even the righteousness of God, which is... By faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you note in your Bible or you're making notes, write down Galatians 2.16. Galatians 2.16 parallels Romans 3.22 perfectly. That it is by the faith of Jesus Christ, by the faith, God's righteousness through Christ, that we are able to be saved. Why? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When you think about Galatians chapter 2, 16, listen to its similarities and how close it ties in with Romans 3, 22. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law... But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Look how that blends in perfectly. Notice verses 24 through 26. What does this righteousness of God do that is brought through the faith of Christ? God's scheme of redemption through Christ. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God 
hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Folks, you see how rich that is? How about that word justified, just as if I had never sinned, justified freely, how? By His grace, through redemption that's in Christ. God set Him forth. He's that propitiation, that payment, that ransom. When we stand and we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe, we can sing, sing that with confidence, not in ourselves, but in our Savior. And notice verse 26, the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Are you with me on this? You see how beautiful this is now. 27 and 28, the fourth point here. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Justified by what Paul? Faith. What faith? By the law of faith. Is it a law of faith that I believe? Yes, verse 26. Is it a law of faith that is declared? Yes, verse 25. Is it a law of faith that is a ransom purchase law of faith? Yes, propitiation. Is it a law of faith that God set forth? Yes, verse 25. Is it a law of faith that has redemption through Christ? Yes, through His law. The law of faith. Is is justified freely by His grace? Yes. Is grace involved in that law of faith? Yes. It is righteousness of God. By the faith of Jesus Christ, verse 22, and it's manifested, it's proven, and it is the righteousness of God through His Son that we are redeemed. I love this, folks. Looking at this idea of being justified in all Robertson in his word picture says that it's the principle of faith in harmony with God's love and grace. Now watch this, church. When you talk about the law of faith in Christ, through God's righteousness, the law of faith is also referred to as, watch it, the law of faith is also referred to as the law of of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 2-7. through 7. The law of faith is also referred to as the law of Christ, Galatians 6, 2. The law of faith is also referred to as the law of liberty in James 1 and verse 25. Can't think where I got the following, but I like it. The Apostle Paul pointed out that there are two kinds of laws that could justify by law of works, a man could be justified, but only if he kept every part of the law perfectly. Parallel that with James 2, verse 10. And this no man can do. Thus, the law of faith, by its nature, excludes any boasting on man's part. 
The law of faith is the gospel, the New Testament, the doctrine of Christ, which teaches us that we must obey God's will in order to be saved, Matthew 7 and verse 21. Here's the bottom line, folks. We are to conform to Christ by the law of faith, which reflects both the letter of law of faith in Christ and its spirit. Now, legalism says that you keep the law, the letter of the law, without the spirit. But through the righteousness of God that redeems us, that claims us, that pays the propitiation, that the law of the faith of the Son of God, that we are justified by His grace, it is the redeeming power. We are conformed to the law of faith. And ladies and gentlemen, we have just shot a hole in the head of legalism because we're not holding to the letter of the law. We're holding to the letter of the law and its spirit through Christ Jesus and nothing of our own. Let the church say amen. He paid it all, ladies and gentlemen. And what is amazing is God has always given the plan, but man has always needed to respond to the plan. That's what amazes me. Let me ask you a question. If Abraham had not left his country when God told him to go, would he have still been there? Hebrews says it's by faith he did it. Noah built an ark Best I can recall, there wasn't any water around. And not enough to float an ark. But he did it, why? By faith. Every time you and I have found this is true all through the Bible, two things. Number one, God has always told man what he expects in worship. And number two, God has always told man how to respond in faith to him. Every time. When you and I take a look at this first response to legalism, ladies and gentlemen, if we keep a law for law's sake, that's one thing. But the law of faith in Jesus Christ reflects both the letter of the law and its spirit within. It has an obedience and it has the proper attitude. May I give you a second response? Time is quickly getting away. Let's look at the definition that says legalism is an implying or an implication of allegation of pride. Now, that would have to be the pride of man. We've already taken that out of the way. And the neglect of mercy and ignorance of the grace of God. Let me define allegation. An allegation is an assertion made with little or no proof. It's a statement not yet proven. Statements affirming or denying certain matters of fact that you are prepared to prove. An allegation is you're making an assertion with little or no proof. And you've got to be ready to prove that. Ladies and gentlemen, a lot of times when people just say, well, you're a legalist, they have a real tough time proving it. You know, the more that I keep looking at this, the more I keep thinking about this, And weighing on this factor. Uh, Consider this. Folks, one cannot have pride in one's salvation by himself when the law of faith in Christ is the redeeming, justifying power. As Paul said in Romans 3.27, the boasting is excluded. So that takes that allegation of pride. When somebody makes an allegation of pride that you are a legalist, that's a strong accusation. I'll tell you how I feel sometime on this, folks. This is not in the outline. So see, Chad, you hadn't seen this one. But 
Now, now, let me say this. To our young people, you can YouTube it or Google it. Don't do it now if you got your iPhone. There was a movie out one time called The Karate Kid. Now, you can find it on a rerun. It is the original one. The Karate Kid. If you've never seen that movie, I'm going to spoil it for you. In the movie, Mr. Miyagi has Daniel doing all kinds of work. He had him washing and waxing cars a certain way. I'll go on and laugh. Wax on, wax off. Go ahead. And then he had him paint a, a house. Side to side. Then he had him paint up and down. And what he was doing is he was teaching him the basics of karate, how to block, how to stop a kick, those things. Now, I ain't getting into all this, folks. But do you remember in that movie when Daniel has just about had all he can take and he's going to leave and Mr. Miyagi said, Daniel, son, show me wax on, wax off. And he starts like this. He said, no. And so he starts perfecting him how to do it. Well, Daniel is kind of bucking against him. I feel with this just like Mr. Miyagi does. Remember when Daniel's rebellion and all of a sudden he looked up and said, show! In other words, show me the legalism. Show me. You, you want to make an allegation of pride and say... That there are people who are neglecting mercy and that are ignorant? May I ask a question? Who's the legalist now? I'll go a step further and play their game more. Who's the Pharisee now? Stay with me here, church. Let's think about this. Take your Bibles. Go over with me to the book of Ephesians. The next time somebody graciously... But wrongly says, are you a legalist, folks? You'll be able to answer. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, beautiful text. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Would you consider some things with me? First of all, folks, the idea and study of grace, faith, and works are quite simple. Grace, faith, and works do not work against one another according to the Bible. They all blend together perfectly in God's scheme of redemption, His law of faith through Christ. Keep in mind what I call the twos. The Ephesians 2, Philippians 2, and James 2. These passages bring forth how God's grace through faith and works are brought forth and they blend together perfectly. When you and I consider what was just said in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we're saved by grace through faith. Faith of the law of Christ Implied there of the faith of an individual believing in the righteousness of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. We are not saved by the works that we do. 
But yet Paul comes back and says we are his workmanship. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, we're taught to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, and among whom we shine as lights in the world. We're even told that God works in us both to will and to do, do action, His good pleasure. James chapter 2, 14 through 26 is not talking about faith and works. It's talking about a faith that works. Where James simply says, you express your faith by the works that you do. And faith without works is a dead faith. James even says, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. It's as simple as can be. You believe there's one God, you do well, James said. The devils believe and tremble. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the issue of somebody says, well, I was saved by faith. I believed in Christ. Then I was baptized two weeks later, three weeks later, or when we had a big mass. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a denominational view of God's grace. It's a denominational view of plan of salvation that is not according to the Scripture. Do you realize that every time somebody was baptized into Christ, they did so immediately. You ever seen phrase that very hour, that very night, that same hour? Grace, faith, and works do not nullify one another. And what did Paul tell the Ephesian brethren? He told them that they were saved by grace through faith. Have you considered their lives? When you and I go back to the book of Acts, for example, or even in the book of Ephesians too. These very Ephesian brethren were saved by grace through faith. They heard the gospel. Paul said it in Ephesians 1.13. Also, they believed in Christ, Ephesians 1.13. They understood repentance, Acts 20 and verse 21. They understood confession, Acts 19.18. They were baptized into Christ, Acts 19, verse 5. They were not re-baptized. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're re-baptized, then you're doing it for the wrong reason all over again. Either you're baptized right or you're not. In Acts 19, they were baptized under the baptism of John. Paul commended John, said that baptism was for that time, but you live under this time. When they heard that, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. He said, John came to lead us to Christ. These very Ephesian brethren were saved by grace through faith. And what would they do with their lives as they press onward? Their workmanship. Here's a key word. Key word. Workmanship. It means the manufactured product still being manufactured. If we can understand manufacturing, folks, we're in the town to understand it. Even the same down home. We are manufactured and we are created unto good works. Because we are saved by grace through the faith of the law of Christ, through an obedient faith, we express our works to give glory to the Father, Matthew 5, 16. Works that we bring forth as we consider one another to provoke or to urge unto love and good works, Hebrews 10, 24. And we are zealous of good works, Titus 2 and verse 14. That's how our faith is expressed. I love this. Can't think where I got it. I'm trying to reference more things that I get. A lot of times I write something down and fail to note. So I can't take credit for this, but I love this. I will not work my soul to save, for that my Lord has done. 
but I will work like any slave for love of God's dear Son. There's the motivation. Works are not what a man does to be saved, folks. Works are what a saved man does as he expresses his faith. I'm grateful to Lee Hodges for that comment. Good stuff. So here we go, folks. It's quite simple. Our salvation is by the grace of God in obedience to the faith, the law of faith, in accepting what Christ has done for mankind. There is no neglect of God's grace. There's no neglect when one is obedient. So does that make me a legalist in this regard, ladies and gentlemen? Absolutely not. When you look at the definition of legalism, it doesn't match up one bit what a person does to obey the Word of God or to be pleasing to God. It doesn't match up. So what do you have? It's quite simple, folks. Jesus told us, in rather John, in 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And Jesus taught us in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. And ladies and gentlemen, if that makes me a legalist, then let me just say this. I will stand with Christ. I will stand with Paul. I will stand with Peter. I will stand with the Holy Spirit through whom the Word is inspired and delivered. You want to call me a legalist? Go right ahead. Now, if you want to call me a faithalist, I'll take that. Because it's all done by faith. The faith of the Son of God. Watch how this works. Those that wish to say a person is a legalist, they don't have a problem singing this hymn. I'm not going to sing it, but I will quote it. It's Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. And if quoting it and walking it makes me a legalist, then I will stand guilty. But dear friend, know your definition. And faithful Christians... Do not meet the definition of legalism, top, bottom, left, or right. As we consider this tonight, I love what Brother David Farr said. My faith stands on the grace-given gospel. My obedience is to the grace-given commandments. My redemption rests in the grace-given blood. And my hope holds to the grace-given promises. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't have room to be legalists when Christ, through His redeeming blood, can make us legal and sinless in His sight. We trust tonight in our revival to faithfulness that we will always embrace the commands of the Lord but also to embrace the sweetness and the spirit in which we bring forth the law of faith in Christ Jesus. Do you know, my Jesus, as we began our sermon tonight, 
we expressed His grace-given salvation plan in Christ. We also talked about a revival to faithfulness if you need to come back to your Lord tonight. If you want to know the Lord more closer with your life, then we bid you the opportunity to come now as we stand and as we sing together.